We'll be reading from Luke 8, 26 through 29. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into a boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done, has, God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God. Last week we <clears throat> started uh, looking at this section in Luke's Gospel in chapter 8, where it starts with Jesus in a boat, in a storm, in the middle of a storm, the disciples going, what's going on here? It's just crazy, we're going to drown, don't you care, Jesus? And Jesus stands up and calms the storm. And, and it leaves the disciples with the question, who is this that we're with? We just don't understand what just happened. This is blowing our minds. Now, they've already seen Jesus do a lot of things, but this, this kind of pushed it to, to another level. And in these four scenes, really, well, really three scenes, because the next one that Pastor Ben will be speaking on this next week, uh, there's, there's kind of two scenes mixed in together. But we're seeing that Jesus has power and authority over nature, over demons, over death and over disease. And this is Jesus, and this is who he said he would be. This is what uh, he is encapsulating, he is embodying, he is demonstrating what he said in his very first sermon in the Gospel of Luke when he took the scroll of Isaiah in chapter four, and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me. Claim liberty to the captives, 
recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <clears throat> we saw right off the bat, that was one of the first things that happened in, in chapter four is that Jesus then goes to Capernaum, he's teaching on the Sabbath, and he's teaching in the synagogue, and there's a man there with an unclean demon. I, I was thinking about this, I thought, wow, isn't it interesting that the, actually, the, I think the majority of the demonic exorcisms that Jesus does happens on a Sabbath and at church. I was like, ooh, that's kind of scary. <laughs> and it's like there's a battle going on. There's spiritual battle going on every time we gather to open the word of God together. And this is what happens constantly. Now, this, this scene that we're reading about today is, is in a different part of, uh, it's, it's in the country of the Gerasenes, and there's all sorts of textual problems, even with just that word, the Gerasenes, because some said Gadara, and some said Gergasa, and some said Gerasa, Gerasa, and it's just kind of all over the map. And when you actually look at the map, like some of these places are like 40, 50 miles away from the seaside. So how, like, did the pigs run for 40 miles and into the sea? Like, it seems like this happened when they landed the boat, but those towns... And, it, you know, so there's kind of questions around exactly where this was. Ultimately, that doesn't matter. But what, what, were you, what we've got here is on the opposite shore from, from in, of the Sea of Galilee is called the Decapolis region. And there was 10 cities in there that were primarily Greek cities. And so we're, we've kind of crossed from Jewish territory into Gentile territory and this is kind of one of the first episodes of Jesus ministering outside of kind of the, the, the main Jewish area. And it's just this brief time across the lake, and then Jesus goes back. Well, we're not told why he decided to cross the lake at this point either. He just did. Maybe it was just for this one moment. They sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And they're met with this man. There's kind of two sections in this passage. There's the conflict in verse 26 to 35, and then there's the conclusion, the last three verses, 36 to 39. So in this conflict moment, as soon as Jesus gets, steps out of the boat and gets on land, they're, they're met from a man from the city who has demons. And it says, for a long time, he'd worn no clothes. He doesn't live in a house, but he lives among the tombs. So here's an oppressed, broken, homeless, naked man. Like this, and he's living in the place, you know, if you think of this in kind of Jewish context, you know, just the, the whole nakedness thing, that's a shame thing, right? You're living among the tombs. This is automatically unclean. You don't touch a dead body. This guy's living among the dead. I mean, everything about this man and, and the oppression that he's under is exactly what our enemy wants to do, and that is destroy human dignity. The demonic is the destruction of human dignity. That's at its core what it is. The demonic destroys human dignity. He sees Jesus, he cries out, he falls down before them, 
and he says in a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Remember how our last passage ended? (laughs) The disciples in the boat are asking, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, here's a demon-possessed man knowing exactly who he's talking to. And you'll notice that throughout all of any, any of the exorcisms, any of the encounters with the demonic, they know exactly who Jesus is. There is no question in their mind who he is, nor the authority that he has over them. Is it James? James says, you know, you believe in one God, great. Even the demons believe and they shudder. They know exactly who Jesus is. They recognize Jesus' identity and authority to judge and to act. Notice that when it comes to dealing with demonized people, Jesus always takes the initiative and he is always in charge of the situation. Jesus says when Peter confesses him as the Christ, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church, my gathered people together and the gates, the defensive structures of hell will not prevail against it. This is King Jesus acting in the authority that he already has. For he had commanded repeatedly the unclean spirit to come out. The conflict continues and Jesus and this demon get into a very short conversation. And Luke, I think he, he's, uh, if you compare this to Mark, Luke narrows this down to just the, the, the key elements. What is your name? Legion. That's all he's allowed to say for many demons entered him and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. You know what they're referencing there, we, we read in Revel, uh, Revelation chapter 20 is the place prepared for them in final judgment. And they know that Jesus has the authority to do it right now. So they say, don't, don't send us there, not yet. And now the confusing thing is, why wouldn't Jesus just do that? Like, just get rid of them, be done with it, and move on. No explanation for that. There's this large herd of pigs on the hillside. He gives them permission to go into those, and they... they Go out of the man, they enter the pigs, and then the herd rushes down a steep bank and a lake and drowns, and this is kind of the irony of the situation. Don't send us into the abyss, and where do they end up? Bottom of a lake. <laughs> now, in their worldview, too, of, of, of first century Judaism, like the, the, the waters of the sea, the, the depths of the sea, those are the, the tahom, the, the deep places, the, the underworld, kind of the gateway to the abyss in many ways, and so there's irony happening here. But again, we see that the demonic destroys. That's its purpose. Daryl Bach in his commentary says, the swine incident indicates vividly, even tragically, how deadly the forces of evil are. The presence of evil and the demonic should not be taken lightly. The presence of evil and the demonic should not be taken lightly. Last week, we, we kind of went through a few things and kind of more of in a high-level you know, uh, thing about the, the, the supernatural and the spiritual. We said that one of the problems we have with all of this is that we kind of have a, a, a preference for the scientific 
and, and an aversion to the supernatural in our culture today. I think this affects the church too. We, we, we constantly kind of, yeah, uh, this doesn't happen anymore, does it? This, this kind of thing doesn't happen? Well, actually it does. I don't know how many times over the years I have been woken up feeling a pressure, especially on a Saturday night about 3.30 in the morning. Feeling just a, an oppressiveness around, around something or kids having, or kids having night terrors. Ben and Shana experience this. Every time Ben preaches, it seems like they got kids up in the middle of the night, right? I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> I think that's the spiritual warfare because, you know, there are days when we get up here and we're dead tired because it's been, you know, maybe it's been a rough Saturday. Or maybe there's just been a lot of nitpicking at home too. You know, like Saturday can be the worst day in your marriage when you're a pastor. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's why we just should Sabbath and just do nothing and avoid really interacting. Just read a book all day. <laughs> uh but it's so real. There you go. Cows always break through the fences on Sunday morning so you can't get to church. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things that happen, right? I mean, how many times have I, you know, led worship and, you know, any, I, I don't break a string for like months and months, but it'll happen Sunday morning. You know, or uh, one of my, uh, 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 former pastor that I served with, he, he was convinced that there is a special demonic uh, detachment specifically for sound systems. Because <laughs> he's like, I, I, every time I know that there's an important message that something, God's put something on my heart, and inevitably there's going to be a mic problem, there's going to be feedback, there's going to be some sort of distraction. Because this is spiritual warfare. Whenever we open the word of God, I mean, how, how many of us can read like, I don't know, how, how many of you are like binge readers? Like once you get into a series, you can just read the entire series. Yeah, a lot of hands are going up here, right? I know, like, like almost every Christmas break, Lord of the Rings, you know, comes out. Come, I think it's an Advent thing for me. I don't know, there's no connection. It's just like, it seems like that's the right time of year to read it. I don't know what it is, but I can, you know, I can get through those 1,200 pages in a few weeks. I mean, in my Bible, we're already at like page 10, you know, 1,000 here, but could I binge read this? How many of you have tried that? Like it doesn't, it's hard, right? It's a lot harder. There's a spiritual warfare that happens. And we dare not underestimate that. Just like last week we talked about, if we underestimate the, the, the power and the majesty and the glory of God to set people free, to calm the waters and, and, and to speak into our lives, then, then we live in, in, in a way that, you know, are, we're, we're, not, we're not here out of delight for who Jesus is. We're here out of duty for what we think we need to do in order for God to bless us or... or, or we think it's all up to us and our programs to lead people to Jesus and we kind of leave out the, the miraculous thing that no one can come to the Father except through me and we need the radical working of the Holy Spirit to draw people to Jesus. 
And if we downplay the work and the power and the might and the presence of God in the present, how it can undermine and, and turn us into either really legalistic or really license-driven people. And the same thing if we downplay and we, we don't think that our enemy is just as active, not as powerful, because we see that over and over. Not nearly as powerful because there's a legion here. Over 5,000 kind of is a legion. It's the biggest, it's a military term of the biggest group of Roman soldiers. And Jesus is just one. Jesus against a legion and it's just a simple word. He gave them permission. He's in charge. And so while we need to take the presence of evil and the demonic seriously, it should not be in fear or trembling or trepidation. Years ago, I remember hearing a testimony of a uh, of a missionary, I can't remember who's, who it was. I think he, one night he woke up <laughs> sensing the presence, just an evil dark presence in his hotel room and he rolled over and the story is, is there's this very clear demonic presence in his room and he's like, oh, it's only you. Rolled over and went back to sleep. You know, if being so certain of who you are in Christ, the power that he has, that's where we need to rest. Jesus is in charge. He is powerful over the demonic, as well as nature and death and disease. Jesus is powerful. So the conflict ends then the conclusion, how does this affect people? The herdsmen saw it, they flee. They tell it in the city, the people went out to see what happened. They came, they saw Jesus, found the man with whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They've seen, they, they've witnessed, they, they've heard about a greater power than this, this madman that's been raging for years. We don't know how long. They're experiencing, this is kind of a natural response to experiencing a greater power. How great is this power that's that, that this has happened? And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. The word there is sozo, saved, set free, made whole, redeemed. It's a word often translated saved or salvation. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them because they were seized with the great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. Isn't that interesting? The first response is fear and distance. This is something amazing and we need him to leave. 
Fear and distance is the first response. There's really kind of three responses I want us to kind of see here. Fear and distance. And why is there fear? Well, because one, there's a greater power, but I think there's something different here too, and this is its second and third hand experience of Jesus. This is second and third hand, right? It's the, it's the shepherds who saw what was going on. They watched it, and it's people who heard about it down the line. They heard reports about Jesus, or they had a, a secondhand experience in this moment, but they didn't have a direct experience with Jesus, really. So fear and distance and go away. We don't want you here. Response one is for them to just say, please leave. And Jesus doesn't say anything. He doesn't get into an argument with them. He just simply gets in the boat and leaves. You know, sometimes when we tell people about Jesus and they don't want to hear about it, the best thing to do is not to keep pushing it, but just to let it go for now. Just let it go. Because Jesus doesn't really need you to push things. <laughs> He's got a little more power than your arguments. So response one is fear and distance. Second response is desire and discipleship. Where is the man who was set free? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. Seated at the feet of Jesus is a posture of discipleship over and over in, in Luke's gospel. He's seated, he's clothed, he, he has his humanity back. His dignity has been restored. He has himself back. He knows who he is now. And he wants to be a follower of Jesus. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. He begged that he might be with him. Remember in, in Mark's gospel, when, when Jesus chooses the 12, he, the, the text says that they might be with him that they might be with him. This man wants to follow Jesus. He wants to get in the boat with him. He wants to go where Jesus is going. He, he wants to be a companion of Jesus like the other disciples who were with him. And, and, and remember, when they got in the boat, there's a bunch of other people. It's not just the 12 in the boat crossing the lake. There's more. He wants to become part of this group that is traveling with Jesus. He wants to be a disciple, but... Isn't this shocking? Jesus sent him away. What? Jesus sends him away. Saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming through the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You know, the best response and the clearest move of discipleship here is obedience. Obedience and declaration. Simple. Jesus said, um, I already got, you know, it's not like, oh, we don't got enough room in the boat. You know, find, find another way. Um, Jesus had a mission for this guy, and it wasn't to just 
follow him and be with him. It was to go and to declare what God had already done for him. And so he has this mission. And given, given the fact that this is in Gentile territory that is hostile to Jesus right now, this, this may be our first Gentile missionary. This may be the first first time, and, and uh, Luke doesn't recount this later on, but Mark does, where Jesus, you know, in, in Mark's gospel, Jesus is going back and forth on the lake a whole bunch. And this is the first time he goes and he meets resistance. Don't, don't, don't hang out here. Don't stay. Don't stay. Please go away. But the next time Jesus comes back, it's a totally different story. Because a man who met Jesus and who was set free and saved by Jesus has told his story over and over, and now there is a fruitful ministry. But right now, they're too freaked out. All they see is massive power that terrifies them. And notice Luke, Luke is very specific here. He went away proclaiming, and Luke uses the word kiruse, which all throat acts is a distinct word for proclamation of the Christian gospel, a declaration that Jesus is Lord. And he proclaimed throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus said, how much God has done for you, this man sees no difference. He obediently declares the amazing work that Jesus Christ did in his life. You know, as I, as, as I look at this, I see that, you know, when, when Jesus works in our hearts and lives, we may think we know where we need to go in order to serve Jesus best. And, and, or, or we get this idea that, that ministry or, or being, being called into the mission of God is, oh, hell, now I gotta go to Bible college and then I gotta get a job at a church and then I, you know, I gotta become a pastor or I gotta become a missionary or something with you know, those. But Jesus is like, just go home. Just go home and just share how much God has done for you. And isn't that the, the call for all of us? What, what has God done in your life? Just share that with people. What difference has Jesus made because you're, you're following him, that, that, that you've come to him, that you've, he's, he's done something in your life. So, so just go home and, and share that with people. You know, we've, we've taken ministry and made it into a profession. Jesus never thought in those terms. He's just like, go home and just tell how much God has done for you. Ministry isn't a professional thing. It's just a response to the wonderful saving work of Jesus. Three responses, fear and distance, because these people had heard reports about Jesus, but they didn't experience it directly. I wonder how many people in churches around the world live in a fear of God and a distance from God because they've just heard the reports, but they've never experienced Jesus. In fact, I just saw a quote from A.W. Tozer. Uh, I think it was just this morning, actually. And it was basically saying, I wonder how many people in our churches have fallen for the heresy of just accept Jesus into your heart. And they've got some information, 
but they really keep God over here. Natural response to being set free, made whole, and delivered is to sit at the feet of Jesus in a posture of discipleship and then walk in obedience to what he calls us to do, to declare what God has done for us. Just share our stories. What has Jesus done for you? In Luke chapter 8, 22 to 25, we read of Jesus calming the raging sea. In this story, we read of Jesus calming the raging man. And there's peace, and there's stability, and there's safety in that. I found an old hymn that reflects on this, these two passages together, and the verses are written in the in the, the, the voice of the, the, the songwriter and the chorus is written in the, in the voice of Jesus. Verses go, Master, the tempest is raging, the billows are tossing high, the skies overshadowed with blackness, no shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish, how canst thou lie asleep when each moment so madly is threatening a grave in the angry deep? Master, with anguish of spirit, I bow in my grief today. The depths of my sad heart are troubled. Awaken and save, I pray. Torrents of sin of anguish sweep over my sinking soul, and I perish. I perish, dear Master. O hasten and take control. The chorus. The winds and the waves shall obey my will. Peace, be still. Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey my will. Peace be still. Peace be still. They all shall sweetly obey my will. Peace be still. Peace be still. Master, the terror is over. The elements sweetly rest. The earth's sun in the calm lake is mirrored and heaven's within my breast. Linger, O blessed Redeemer, leave me alone no more. And with joy I shall make the blessed harbor and rest on the blissful shore. The winds and the waves shall obey my will. Peace be still. Whether the wrath of storm-tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey my will. Peace be still. Peace be still. They all shall sweetly obey my will. Peace be still. Let's pray. Lord, over the wind and the waves and the crashing storm, you simply rose and said, peace be still. And it was. And over a man ravaged by demons, you said, peace be still. And he was freed. Lord, over our lives, may we hear that voice 
whatever the storms, whatever the raging sea, whatever the demonic oppression, peace be still in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit, peace be still. There is no power on heaven and earth that can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Peace be still. Lord, as we come to your table this morning, we know that in the crucifixion, the cross of Christ, and the resurrection, death has been defeated. The enemy is powerless because Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, Lord, we come to this table this morning to sit at your feet, clothed and in our right minds, and ready to obey your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.